Praise the Lord. First Samuel chapter 7, if you have your Bibles this evening, First Samuel chapter 7. I uh, actually got stirred by something as I was talking with Evangelist Blanco about the revival. This kind of stirred in my heart and this, uh, this particular text actually came to mind and I began to look at it again afresh and I wanted to minister it as we're going into revival. I want to minister a sermon called Prepare Your Heart for the Lord. For months, a runner named Cindy, this is back in 2017, she posted motivational video uh, and photographs on Instagram and Facebook, chronicling the miles she was putting in to prepare for the New York Marathon. Cindy ran the race of her life. She finished that marathon in just three hours and 17 minutes. In 29 seconds. It was a lot faster, though, than her previous half-marathon finishes, which took a little over two hours. Ran my heart out and left everything on the course, she said. All that training paid off and qualified for the Boston Marathon, she posted on Instagram, along with a post-race selfie and a photo with the medal finisher. But Cindy's incredible marathon time seemed to be just a little too incredible. To a man sitting on his computer computer 640 miles away, Dirk Murphy, a former marathoner himself and business analyst, has actually turned in a uh, part-time business exposing marathon fraud runners. When Murphy heard about Cindy's speedy personal record, he started scrolling through the New York race photos looking for evidence that she had honestly run the improbable fastest race. He didn't find any of the little brunette running on the course. However, he did find a tall athletic man built running with Cindy's bib or her number on his chest, which would have been electronically tagged at certain points. After Murphy sent the photos to Cindy's former half mar- and Cindy's form- former half marathon times to the New York marathon-, marathon organizers, Cindy was disqualified. She is one of about 30 runners identified by Murphy who sought entry into the 2017 Boston Marathon using fabricated times. Cheating can come in many forms, and some cut miles off their qualifying race. Others give their racing bib to someone else who's a little bit faster. In rare cases, they have paid officials to try to have their results uh, altered. A Boston Marathon athletic spokesman said, Integrity of the sport is enormously important to us, the athletes who run in our races. I read that article and I was fascinated by this, that someone would actually do that. There was a Boston Marathon runner who, a woman they actually caught on tape numbers of years ago, uh, taking the subway. And there's something about uh, thinking I can live 
I can do that and get away with it. In the text we're going to read, Israel is finding out that they can't do, cheat the system and get away with it. They have fallen into idolatry. They have become defeated by the Philistines as a result of that. Because they didn't want to play by the rules. They wanted to make up their own rules. And God has to bring them to a point to deal with them over that. And I want to talk to you about prepare your heart. 1 Samuel chapter 7 The Philistines are attacking. Verse 3, Samuel said to all the people of Israel, If you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtaroth. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey Him alone. Then He will rescue you from the Philistines. So Israel got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtaroth and worshipped only the Lord. And Samuel told them, gather uh, all of Israel to Mizpeth, and I will pray for you. Uh, and so they gathered to Mizpeth, at Mizpeth in a great ceremony and drew water from a well and poured it out on the ground before the Lord. And they went without food all day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. And it was at Mizpeth, which literally means the Lord will judge that Samuel became Israel's judge. I want to talk to you firstly about turning your heart or preparing your heart as some translations say. In our text in verse 3 it says uh, that you get rid of your foreign gods, your idols, turn to the, your heart to the Lord and obey Him only. Other translations say, direct your heart to Jehovah. Let your heart be turned to the Lord. Apply your heart to Jehovah. Dedicate yourself completely to the Lord. Change your heart for the Lord. Commit yourselves to the Lord. Prepare your hearts for the Lord. What this is talking about is the direction of life. Your heart is going to determine the flow of your life. Proverbs tells us that uh, guard your heart with all diligence. Proverbs 4.23, for above, uh, guard your heart above all else. It determines the course of life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on that which lies before you. Mark out straight paths for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. And so it tells us that in the heart, uh, it's the way you're going to direct. What's in your heart uh, is going to determine the direction you take in life. Uh, He tells us, warns us uh, that hearts can be easily swayed often easily changed. Uh, We've seen this, uh, if you uh, have seen any kind of uh, uh, politics or sports uh, or any kind of even uh, 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 um, star like musicians or actors or actresses, uh, you know that in life things can become very fickle very fast. You can be a hero one day and a zero tomorrow. People's hearts change very quickly. Things will influence. There are outside pressures on your heart. You will do what's in your heart. 
Just mark that down. You will go where your heart wants you to go. You will act like your heart wants you to act. Jesus said this very clearly in Matthew chapter 5, 27 and 28. You've heard the commandment, you must not commit adultery. But I say unto you that even to look under a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's talking about opportunity. He's talking about you would do it if you could, if you thought you could get away with it, if the circumstances appeared to be right. Heart determines your direction in life. And so here Israel has turned their hearts. People will use the excuse, you'll hear them say, I may not be doing right, but God knows my heart. Yes, he does. And eventually we all will. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 verse 45, a good, produce, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. So what you say flows from your heart. Jesus talking about giving in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. He makes the statement for where your treasure is, there is your heart as well. That wherever you're invest, wherever you're putting your money, your 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 uh, time. I actually saw a T-shirt today that I I like. I I I, I might get this for myself. It says it ain't hoarding if it's guitars, because that's my heart. You'll follow your heart. People will say, well, what does God want from me? He wants your heart. That's what God wants from you. He, you, you know, there are people who perform. That's what they do. There's religious performing. That's how they think that they serve God. It's, it, they'll mark it down. I've, I've been a Christian for X amount of time. I've done this. I've done that. I've done this. And that's supposed to be what God is impressed with. But God wants their heart. It's not about what I've done, what I haven't done. It's does he have your heart? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said, you must lo- love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind. He's quoting out of Deuteronomy chapter 4. The thought of God having your heart. Samuel starts this dissertation when the people of Israel come to him. If you want to return to the Lord with all your heart, get rid of your idols. And then he ends this statement in verse 3. Turn, some say, prepare your heart to the Lord and obey him. Repentance has to come from the heart. I have a series by Charles Finney at home. It's called True and False Repentance. It's a series of books that he wrote, a series of sermons he actually preached. And he went through a series of, uh, there's five of them. I, actually, my mother-in-law bought it for me. 
There's a series of them that they go through and, and it's different things of false humility or different uh, other marks. But one of the three major marks of no repentance from the heart is people don't change. James 4.8, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, ye sinners, purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. First mark of repentance is change, heart. The attitude. If you've seen Cross in the Switchblade, when Nikki Cruz gets saved uh, and really gets it, uh, you know, uh, little Bo Peep walks up to him and goes, I'm not scared of you, you're just different, I can tell. Something happened in his heart. Another mark of false repentance is they blame others for their sin. Well, I had to sin because, you know, they, when I was four, they did something really bad to me. You know, I would have, I would have lived right, but it was their fault that I didn't do what was right. That's a false repentance. You won't get anywhere with God with that. And another mark on that is you can always tell people's true repentance by their attitude. I've repented. Really. See, this is where the Lord wants, he knows the heart. Let's think about what happened to Israel. You know, God did so much for Israel. He had taken them out of the Red Sea, you know, out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, fed them in the wilderness. Uh, they did laps, but their shoes didn't wear out. They never went hungry. They never missed a meal. They never were defeated. God gives them the land. They go through the Jordan. They're in the, they defeat all the enemies. The sun stands still for them. They get the land. Uh, they begin to move in and they begin to regress into the gods of the culture. Ashtaroth and Baal. We could talk a lot about them. Ashtaroth is actually a female deity. It would be very equivalent to Venus or Juno. That would have been a fertility goddess. It would have, statues of, of this goddess would have been probably naked. Baal had to do with the male images. And they got away from God because of the local foreign or false gods. An idol is simply, or a foreign god is simply something that replaces God in our lives. There's things that people have, all sorts of things. Jesus told us that money could do that. Money becomes their God. They won't pay their tithe because money is their God. There's others that it might be an actual idol, a thing. That's something that replaces God. And what a mistake that 
happens too is they make God, they interfere with our view of God. They make our God really small and our circumstances or worldly things very big. Idols demand. Idols will demand a conduct. Colossians tells us that so put to death, this is Colossians 3.5, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy for another. Uh, don't be a greedy person. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Your false God will tell you how to live. What's to be prioritized. Your false God will demand your money and your time. Your false God will be what you praise, what you lift up, what you exalt. Your false God will set the standards for who's just and who's not. Robert Lyons sent me this. I thought this was funny. It said, what is considered trashy if you're poor, but cool if you're rich? Day drinking? Speaking two languages? Hard drugs? And tax avoidance? If you're poor, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're rich, it's like, that's what you're trying to do. See, they interfere, your worldview, however you want to say it. It's going to dictate your conduct, your time, your money, your praise, and whom you deem right and whom you deem wrong. Samuel challenges them and says, you've got to get rid of that. You have to get rid of it. It's something that runs throughout the whole Bible because it's very interesting. The children of Israel would do bad. They would fall into idolatry. They'd get oppressed. They'd cry to the Lord. They'd get out and they'd go back down. And the book of Judges is this secular downward spiral of exactly doing that. Genesis chapter 35, verses 1 and 2. Then God said to Jacob, get ready to move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Joseph, so I'm sorry, so Jacob told everyone in his household, get rid of your pagan idols, purify yourself, and put on clean clothes. Now what's very interesting is that we had only read that Rachel had taken one idol from her father. But by the time we get to Genesis 35... It says, so they gave Jacob all their pagan idols and earrings and buried them under a great tree near Shechem. It's very fascinating to me that it goes from one and it grows. Because when you open the door, it can grow. So there's times we've got to reevaluate our lives. Not those sitting across from you, not other people in the room. Your life. Your heart. 
and say, am I really doing right? And what, what he's calling them to is repentance. Change your ways, change your mind. David's song of repentance is Psalms 51. He has committed murder to try to cover up his adultery. How many know one sin doesn't cover up another sin? I mean, don't raise your hand, but before you're saved, you ever tell a lie and then have to think about another lie to cover up for that lie? And by the time you were done lying, you didn't even know who you were lying to? I hope it was just before you were saved. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Because the call is to return. To get back to God. Back to where you started. He says return to the Lord. They did, they came. Verse 6 tells us that they gathered at Mizpath. The term that means to judge. This is where Jacob and his father-in-law Laban set up their dueling pillars as a covenant between each other. The Lord judged between you and me if either one of us crosses this line to do the other harm. It became known as the place where God judged, and Samuel's ministry focuses around Mizpeth quite a bit. Returning to the Lord, first you have to be willing to confess what is wrong. Verse 6 tells us that they confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. This is the same terminology that the prodigal uses when they come back. See, God's not against the backslider. God wants to redeem the backslider. But it's personal responsibility. I have sinned. Not because of what they did, or because of what she did, or because of what he said, or because of what I sinned. As long as you keep making excuses, it won't be real repentance. Revelation 2, 4, and 5, But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you first did. Look at how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove the lampstand from its place among The churches. He's talking to the Ephesian church here. The church at Ephesus. And he says, come back. Get your heart right. You're the one who's going to lose if you don't. Zechariah 1.3, therefore say to the people, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. He's for the backslider. He really is. He's for the repentive heart. You repent, God's now, he's for you. And we see this in the text. 
It begins that the people are concerned because the Philistines are invading the land. Now, if you follow through, they had a really corrupt high priest who got this great idea that we're going to send the ark out to battle, which God never commanded. They ended up losing the ark to the Philistines, defeated. There's a whole scenario of uh, the ark being turned around, plagues and rats and different things are happening. This is going on, uh, and they finally send the ark back, but no one seems to get it until David, some probably 50 years later. But what they don't see is they're being oppressed by the Philistines. They're being totally run and circumstances and outside forces now are causing great problems in their life because they turn their heart away. And he he tells them, that if you'll turn your heart to the Lord and obey Him, then He will rescue you from the Philistines. He will rescue you from that which is oppressing you. Revival, a, a victory, a military victory in the Old Testament would be something that we would could refer to in the New Testament as a revival. And revivals can be both corporate and they can be personal. There are people who have revival. It is said that one man was praying. He said, God, use me, you know, how do I start a revival? And his friend said, draw a circle, get into it. And say, let revival begin in this circle. Revival can be personal. But revival is something you can have. 1 Samuel 7, 10 through 12. Just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines arrived to attack Israel. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day, and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that Israel defeated them. And the men of Israel chased them from Mizpath to the place below Bethkar, slaughtering them along the way. They took, uh, uh, then Samuel took some large stones and placed it between the towns of Mizpath and Jesaniah and named it Ebenezer which means the stone of help, for up to this point, the Lord has helped us. Fascinating to me. They turn their hearts, and that day God gives them victory. God begins to give them what is not just normal. I don't know about you, but, you know, we're, we've got the, the smoke from Canada and, you know, the forest fires and all that. I, I can tell you this. I was in Arizona when there were fires that weren't that far away, not like hundreds of miles. And we didn't have smoke like this. This is pretty intense. This is very unusual. Right? Air quality 
at 200, which is particle, which is like really bad. And, you know, and the media is scaring everybody to death. And, you know, if you're young or old or breathing, you probably won't survive this. And, you know, and so, you know, it's like they just, they're horrible. But anyway, it's not normal. Right? The red sun, it's not normal like that. This isn't normal. LaGuardia doesn't shut down, you know, for uh, just because there's a little smog in the air. Which, you know, smog is a made-up word, right? It was actually made up in London when they couldn't disseminate between the smoke and the fog. It was so bad. God does something unusual for them. It's not a usual day. Usually they're oppressed by the Philistines. But now there's thunders from heaven. There's supernatural transcending help that they actually call it Ebenezer. Now, most of us, when we think of Ebenezer, we think of the Christmas carol. But it actually comes from this text. The Lord is our helper. They turn their hearts and God begins to help them. New days. Things have changed. 1 Samuel 7, 13 and 14. So the Philistines were subdued and didn't even invade Israel again for some time. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines. The Israeli villages near Ekron and Gath that the Philistines had captured were restored to Israel. Along with the rest of the territory that the Philistines had taken. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites in those days. Now think about that. Things that were lost were regained. Things that were stolen away now were brought back into possession. There was such peace that the Philistines were subdued, but the Amorites behind them said, we ain't messing. And they had peace in those days because they turned their hearts to the Lord. The text says, turn or prepare your hearts. Prepare for what God's going to do. Prepare yourself. December of 2018... In approximate, uh, all uh, the approximately 400 of St. Paul's firefighters trained for an ice rescue. The fire department's uh, usual response to ice rescues each winter, practicing them for that all uh, because they're uh, for all uh, practicing them is important because in some of the icy waters, time is of the essence. Two hours after St. Paul firefighters completed their ice rescue training for that month, they were called to put their practice into action. 
A cross-country skier had fallen through the ice on McCrone's Lake in Roseville, and St. Paul firefighters got to him safely. Tom McDowell was St. Paul's uh, deputy, uh, deputy fire chief in training, said the new firefighter who actually went into the water to effect the rescue said that the training that day was the first time he had ever been in the water with ice rescue suit doing those maneuvers. That day, two hours later, he had just trained, he had just prepared, and now he could save someone as a result of that. We don't know what will happen when we prepare our hearts. What God could do if we'd put away the false gods, prepare our hearts, do what is right, serve the Lord only. See what God will do. I'm believing God for a great week this week. Not only for us, but for Brockport and Greece as well. Believe in God that God's going to do something beyond. But it begins before the evangelist arrives. We prepare our hearts. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Maybe you're here, you've come, and you're not right with God. Not born again, not saved. You don't actually know the Lord Himself. When I came into a church like this some almost 39 years ago, I didn't really know all that was going on. I just knew something wasn't right with my heart. And I responded to an altar call. I gave my life to Jesus Christ and He came into my heart and He changed me. Transformed my life. Changed me. Made me a new person. And that's what God can do for you. If you're simply willing to acknowledge your need Stop blaming everyone else for your problems and say, you know what my issue is? My sin. And I'm not right with God and I need to get my heart right. You're here this evening. That's you. I wonder if you'd slip up your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to get my heart right with God. I want to pray. I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I want to get and know that my sins are forgiven. Know that I'm going to make heaven my home. Very quickly, slip up your hand. Maybe you're backslidden, preparing your heart. Maybe you've let foreign gods in and all of a sudden now your heart is so crowded with greed or lust or bitterness that it's become a foreign god to you. And like this smoke and haze that we have in our air, you don't see things right. You're not seeing God right. And you're away from God now. Slip up your hand. Pray for me. I need to get my heart right with God. Anyone at all. Changing the call then to Christians. I don't believe all of Israel was all backslidden at this point. I believe they just let things into their lives that shouldn't be there. They took some time and they prepared their hearts before the Lord and God helped them. And that day relatively quickly circumstances 
drastically changed. We've got a play, we've got revival, we've got good things happening, coming up. Let's prepare our hearts. Let's see what God will do. Revival is both corporate and it's personal. Make it yours tonight. Let's all stand. We're going to sing that song, Christ is my reward, worship his name. Christ is my him